We're back into our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're in chapter 7 right now. We've taken a couple of weeks to go through part of that, and if you've missed that, you can look back on our website at fogkc.com or on the Fog app. Those sermons are all available. You can look at them there and, and kind of get caught up. But just for a couple of reminders, a Paul's writing a letter that's to be circulated in all the churches in response to questions he's received from them and things he's heard about them. So he's really writing for two reasons. I've heard some things about you that aren't going well in the church, and you've sent me a letter uh, with a lot of questions about what to do, and so I'm, I'm writing back to you. Now remember, most of these Christians are formerly pagans. These are first-generation Christians. They didn't have parents who taught them how to follow Christ. They weren't previously Jews who knew all about the Old Testament God, who is the same as the New Testament God. They didn't know all that stuff, so they have lots of questions about marriage and divorce and, you know, what do they do now, now that they got saved? What do I do with my spouse? What do I do with my girlfriend? What do I do with, what do I do with all these people? What do I do? Okay, now already on this subject, Paul has stated, if you're married, stay married. As long as your spouse will stay with you. Uh, there were a lot of situations here where possibly one spouse was coming to know Christ as their savior and the other spouse was wanting to leave, but they, the believing spouse was saying, no, no, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to give you a divorce. I'm not going to let go. And, and Paul said, no, no, if an unbelieving spouse wishes to leave, let them go. Let them go. You're no longer under bondage. You let them go because peace is better than constant fighting about them wanting to leave and you not letting them. Already, Paul has alluded to the idea that singleness has some kind of a gift to it. In verse 6 and 7, he said this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So he was talking about the fact that he wished everybody could stay single like he was, uh, but at the same time, he realized and acknowledged that not everybody had the gift to stay single their whole lives. He was wishing singleness for everybody, but also knew that that wasn't possible for everybody. The thinking there was really countercultural for them, that singleness is a gift, that singleness was somehow beneficial. It, it, was, it was a countercultural for them, and let's just be really honest. It's pretty countercultural for us too, right? Now, on February 14th and 15th, Fellowship of Grace is hosting another, yet another, marriage seminar. We want marriages to be healthy. We want marriages to be, we want people to be happy and healthy in their marriages. And so we're providing another marriage seminar. If you go to the Christian bookstore, they are full of books, full of books on marriage and relationships. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands, of books. Uh, there are Christian dating sites, which is really counterintuitive to the idea that singleness is somehow a gift. It's like every Christian who's single should be dating and looking for a spouse, right? We kind of, I think, think that in the back of our minds. Some Christians actually choose a church based on the pool size of singles. Uh, they'll be looking for a church and they'll visit a church and go, eh, there's only three guys here and they're ugly. I'm going to find another church. And they go right on to the next one. And they wait to find a big pool of single people where the options are endless to where they stay and they now are making decisions about their spiritual life based on the idea of connecting with someone and hopefully getting married. Now, it seems that we do everything we can to encourage marriage and look down on singleness for some reason. And I don't know why we do that. As though somehow uh, the cure for this incessant disease of singleness is marriage. I know that um, uh, for many singles, 
the conversations are always, who are you dating? Who are you finding? What do you, you know, everybody's wanting to get them, uh, you know, connected with somebody. In fact, we even joke about women going to seminary to get their MRS degree. Think about that for a minute. If you don't know, if you've never heard that before, they're going there to find a husband. And the church, the evangelical church in America shies away from using men in ministry until they get married. So a young man goes, he, he, he finishes seminary, he's studied, he's discipled, been discipled by others, he's disciplined himself to have a great growing relationship with Jesus, and churches will not hire him because he's not yet married. Now these are all realities in our culture. But today, I want all of us to see that there is this gift of singleness that Paul talks about. The idea that marriage is always a favored status is not only ridiculous, folks, it's unbiblical. It's not biblical. For every single person to want to get married or for us to want them to get married or to help them get married is an anti-Christ viewpoint. It's not what God is teaching. We're going to see that singleness is truly a blessing. And if you can stay single... It is a gift from God with certain benefits. Let's read through the rest of our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've gone through the first 24 verses. Let's read 25 through 40 here, and then we'll go back and we'll take a look at them piece by piece. Here's what God's word says. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives lived as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So we see in this passage that Paul goes on, uh, having already commented about singleness and this gift of singleness, he now goes on to really share some deep thoughts about this singleness idea. And he shares really four big principles here in this passage that I want us to see. And the first is this. Those who are single have the freedom to remain single or to marry. Go back and look at verses 25 through 28 again. He says, now concerning the betrothed or those who are engaged to be married, I have no command from the Lord. Now, let me stop right there for a minute. Remember last week, we're not going to talk about a lot today, but remember last week, Paul's not saying Jesus said this and it's this level of value and I'm saying this because it's less value. No, he's not saying that. He's saying Jesus spoke specifically about certain things and I'm adding to those things. I'm, I'm building on those things. It doesn't mean it's less inspired, Okay. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. If you're married, stay married. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you're single, stay single. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Now, the betrothed in this passage are those who were never married. Uh, these are not people who are widowers or widows, and it's not the divorced. It's those who have never been married. Uh, in fact, some translations use the term virgins. He says, I, I don't, there's no command from the Lord, so sp no specific teaching from Jesus, but it's still Holy Spirit inspired. He says, in view of the present distress... It is good to remain unmarried. Now, what does he mean by that, present distress? Now, some believe that he was talking about the persecution uh, that was already beginning against Christians. Uh, Nero would come to power years later, uh, some years later, and it would get really to its worst at that point. Uh, but he's probably not talking about the persecution that just exists there in Corinth. He's probably referring back to, and we don't know this for sure, but probably referring back to all the things Jesus said about persecution of Christians in general. Okay, this is, uh, this is uh, there was persecution in the current day, in that time that it was being uh, taught or written, but there's also incredible persecution today. Now, we are incredibly spoiled and in a little bit of an American bubble. Okay, we think, oh yeah, Christians were really persecuted in the past. They were really persecuted in history, but it's not so bad here. I mean, okay, my neighbor kind of makes fun of me, and, and the guy, one guy at work won't talk to me because he knows I'm a Christian, but that's really about all I... Listen, folks, that's not the way it is in the rest of the world. There are Christians being persecuted all around the world in ways we cannot even imagine. And it has been that way since Jesus rose from the grave. There is persecution here as well as there. Remember, Jesus said things like this, hey, they're going to hate you. Because they've hated me. As soon as, you, soon as they know that you're a Christian, a little Christ, that's what the word means, as soon as they know that you're a little follower of Jesus, they're going to hate you because they hate your leader. He's saying basically, listen, uh, this is going to happen. This is happening. And if you're married, let's stay married, okay? Remember, these people were wondering, hey, I just got, 
you know, I just got saved. I just gave my life to Jesus and my spouse isn't uh, following Jesus. Do I get rid of them? What do I do? Paul's saying, no, no, no. If you're married, stay married. But if you're single, just stay single. You can stay that If you can stay that way without burning with passion, which he talked about earlier in the passage in this chapter, it says stay unmarried. But then he goes on to say, but if you marry, it's not wrong. It's not sinful. But it is an added complication to your life. You are filling your life with more stuff. Now, I think all of us who are married would agree that marriage and family complicate life. Doesn't mean marriage is bad. Doesn't mean that it's awful. It's just more complicated. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Paul's going to address a couple of big complications here in the rest of this passage. And the first one is this. He's saying, listen, you need to live for eternal things, not temporary. Live for eternal things, not temporary. Look at verses 29 through 31. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. Now he's going to tell us. He just said what he said. Now he's going to explain it. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, he's not saying there, hey, ignore your wife, pretend like she doesn't exist, do life without her. He's not saying that. I'll explain what he is saying in a minute, but he's not saying that. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul makes a great case here that the appointed time is very short. Now we don't know for sure if he's talking about historically or our individual lives, but it's true for both. It's true for both. As far as uh, uh, you know, the future, listen, we're, we're in the end and we've been in the end for years. It's coming though. It's coming. And when you look at the end uh, from the time Paul wrote this to now, over all of history, this is a fairly short time. He's saying, listen, man, we're, we're gonna, it's going to end someday. But I think he's probably talking more about kind of an individual uh, application. Our lives are very short. Compared to eternity, even if you live, I saw the story this week about that uh, lady who's 100 and 101 years old, whatever, and went to a Chiefs game, was so excited about it, you know. And I thought to myself, man, that's a really long time to live. But compared to eternity, that's a teeny tiny dot on a massive page. Our lives are very short. We are but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Everything in life is seen differently through a lens of eternity rather than or opposed to a lens of temporary, of the here and now. When he says, let those who have wives live as though they had none, again, he's not saying to ignore your wife and treat her like she doesn't exist. He's saying, what he is saying is, not to let her rule your life or your behavior. And I think that the opposite is also true, vice versa, ladies. While we need to care and love our wives and care for them, our service and devotion to God should be even more. And if you've gone to church here any time at all, you've heard us preach uh, God's word in talking about how uh, even our love for our family can become idolatry. It can become something God does not approve of when we put it above our devotion and our love for Jesus. 
Of course we should love and care for our parents. Our, our, well, our parents, when they get elderly, that's the stage I'm in. That's why I slipped there. Uh, we should care for them. We should care for our spouses. We should care for our kids and our grandparents. We should care and love them all. But in comparison to our love for Jesus, Paul's saying, listen, your wife should almost not even exist in comparison to your devotion for Jesus. Paul's saying that. He says, let those who mourn live as though they were not mourning. Now, there are legitimate reasons in life to mourn. But they shouldn't rule our lives and keep us from serving Christ. Even the loss of a spouse, or more devastating, the loss of a child, should not put us on the ministry sideline for the rest of our lives. You know, listen, if you're mourning something, uh, listen, I, I, my heart goes out to you. But there is a time for mourning. Uh, scripture is very clear. There is a time for mourning, and there is a time to stop mourning. And when it's time to stop mourning, you've got to stop mourning. And don't let that rule or run your life. Let those who rejoice live as though they were not rejoicing. Now listen, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I'm going to rejoice. Okay? I'm going to be very excited. I've been waiting a long time. I was seven years old when I watched on my parents' hardwood floor that big black and white TV. Uh, I remember watching them win the Super Bowl in 1970. I've been waiting a very long time for this, and I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to go to the parade. I'm going to take my grandsons. I'm going to try to get them a front row seat, just like I did when the Royals had the parade, and I'm going to do all of that, and I'm going to have a great time. And then the next day, I'm going to go back to real life. I'm going to go back to ministry. I'm going to go back to loving my neighbors. I'm going to go back to uh, trying to share the gospel with them, the good news of Jesus. We've waited a long time to rejoice in this city, but then it's just going to be over, folks, and we'll go right back to doing ministry, the things that have eternal value, because even when the Chiefs win, I know it's hard for some of you to get your minds around, it really will have no eternal value. Uh, somebody asked me if I was praying for the Chiefs. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know that God's betting on anybody. I'm not, I'm not sure he really cares about that. I think there are bigger things at, you know, at stake than who wins a football game. Now listen, having a spouse and a family brings a lot of emotional ups and downs. Having a family brings more mourning into your life and it brings more celebration and rejoicing into your life. Having children uh, brings more mourning into your life and it brings more rejoicing into your life. It brings more emotional ups and downs of all kinds. Paul's simply saying here that you can avoid a lot of these things if you remain single. You can avoid them. Then he goes on to say, let those who buy act as though they had no goods. There are added responsibilities to owning things. I remember the first time uh, that uh, Julie and I bought a house and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is awesome. We got a, I'm a homeowner. I don't, have to, I don't have to do any worker stuff anymore. This is awesome. I didn't realize, holy cow, this thing's just going to eat money the rest of my life. It's going to eat up my time. I got to take care of things. I got to replace things. I got to add things. Oh, my goodness. It's, it, you know, it's crazy. He's saying, listen, those who buy, who buy act as though they had no goods. In other words, don't let that stuff take over your life. Let those who deal with the world act as though they had nothing to do with it. That's what he says. He's saying, listen, don't get caught up in all the things that this world requires. 
having a spouse and a family forces us, and not in a bad way or a sinful way, it just, because of the situation, it forces us to be involved in buying and selling things for their care and providing worldly things so they can live. Paul is simply saying that you can avoid all of this materialism and all of these worldly provisions by just remaining single. Listen, when I was single and in college, man, it didn't take much to serve. I mean, a couple of boxes of Pop-Tarts and, you know, some Oreos, and I could, I could go for a week. It was awesome. You know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't take much. For just me to look after me, it just really didn't take much stuff. And I thought my life was so complicated. Oh, my goodness. Those were the days because, you know, life just got more complicated. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, when I was that single college student, this, this sinner just dealing with myself, uh, you know, I had complications to some degree, but all I had to do was deal with myself. Then you get married, you add another sinner into the relationship. Now you got two sinners banging heads occasionally, and, and it gets more complicated. Then you have some kids, Julie and I have three kids, and you add all these little sinners around you, and, and it just gets more and more complicated, Right? I mean, it's just, it, just, it just takes up your life. Paul's saying, listen, folks, time is short, both historically and in your own lives. Being married adds a layer of temporary or worldly goals and demands that staying single just doesn't have. One can better stay focused on eternal things when they have no family responsibilities and they need very little provision for themselves. Paul continues on this theme by being even more blatant. He says, marrying brings inherent distractions into our lives. Now remember, he said, hey, listen, if you want to marry, it's not sinful, it's not bad, but you need to know what you're getting into. He's basically saying, hey, listen, you need to know what you're, what you're buying here, okay? Look at verses 32 through 35. He says this, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties, so have a wife and kids, right? No, no. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. He's not saying, I'm not telling you you can't get married. But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul spells it out right here. Listen, if you stay single, you only have to worry about how to please the Lord with your life. I mean, it's not too complicated. But if you are or you get married, you have to worry about pleasing your spouse besides pleasing the Lord. And sometimes those can even be in contradiction with each other, especially if you're married to an unbeliever. You know, you, you want to follow Jesus. You want to, you want to attend church and, and your spouse says, no, I don't want to do that. In fact, I want to go do other things on Sunday, so I don't want you to go do that. Now you've got the Lord and your spouse really contradicting each other. And he says, your, your focus is divided. This is about focus. If you remain single... You can have a singular focus in life. I'm going to please God with my life. But if you marry, you not only have to focus on pleasing God, but how to please your spouse, and then 
if or when children come along, how to raise and disciple them and to some degree please them. Not all the time, that would be bad, uh, but you know what I mean, and deal with them. He says, listen, I'm telling you this for your own good. So I'm not trying to lay some restraint on you. I'm not trying to, trying to tell you you can't get married. He's, he just, it sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, but he's trying to give us this picture, and, and he's, I think he feels conflicted himself. He's saying, listen, being married is not bad or wrong, but it's better to stay unmarried so you can stay singularly focused. But if you can't control your sexual passions, go ahead and get married. That's better than living single and immorally. Go ahead and get married, and, and, but just know that when you do that, it's going to complicate your life. It says, I want to promote good order. Now, anybody here that believes adding more little sinners into your family promotes good order is out of your mind. Okay? It promotes disorder. Doesn't mean it can't be controlled or, you, you know, you can't deal with it. It just promotes more disorder. And he says, I wanted, I'm, I'm saying this to secure your undivided devotion. This is the whole point. When you're single, you're concerned and you care about one thing, living for, loving, and serving God. Now, why does he deserve our undivided devotion? Because of what Pastor John talked about earlier. The fact that God saw us in our sin and said, I know you can't overcome it on your own. Your humanness won't allow it. So I'm sending my son Jesus. I love you enough to send my son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins and give you the chance at eternal life if you will simply put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. I will give you credit for his life and I will save you and forgive your sins. He deserves our undivided devotion. He requires it. Again, Paul's not saying marriage is bad. He's just saying it's a pretty big distraction. It's a pretty big distraction. Then he sums it up with this principle that he's already said several times, and that's this. Marrying is fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. But singleness is better. And he's actually saying better. He's not saying it's equal to, or here's, here's two equal choices. He's actually saying, listen, uh, uh, for most of you, if you can't control your passions, it's better to be in a marriage. And you can look at the first, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the first part of chapter 7, or last week, chapter 7. He talks all about that. You can uh, listen to it there. But here he says, listen, marrying is fine. It's, it's, there's no, nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. But if you can stay single and not burn with passion, that's actually better. Look at verses 36 through 40. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and who, he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. 
and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul reiterates this. Listen, if you can't keep control of your sexual passions, go ahead and get married. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. But if you can practice self-control, staying single is actually better. If If you marry someone, you're bound to them for the rest of your life. And you don't just marry them. You marry all the complications all the distractions, all the emotional ups and downs, all the worries of providing provision, all the lack of order, all the restraints of your freedom, if you marry. And he says, and if you do, you stay that way for the rest of your life. But then he says, if your spouse dies, you get another opportunity to be singularly focused. He says, listen, if, if one of your spouse, if, if a spouse dies, you're free. You're no longer under obligation. And you can marry again, but listen, if you can stay single at that point, that's great. If you choose to remarry, you may. But then he says, only a believer. By the way, that's a principle throughout all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. Believers should marry believers, not unbelievers. In fact, here at Fellowship of Grace, we won't even marry a believer to an unbeliever. We think it's that biblical and that godly. He's saying, listen, if your spouse dies, if you want to marry a believer, somebody who's in the Lord, you go right ahead. But it would be better if you stay. In fact, he says, this is a really funny thing he says here. He thinks we'd be happier remaining single once our spouse dies. Now think that through for a minute. You know, when we, I mean, I know accidents happen and people die at all ages. I get that. But for the majority of us, if we're married, one of our spouses will probably die in our 60s, 70s, or 80s. That's just statistically true. Okay? And what he's saying is, listen, at that point, you can be singularly focused on your relationship with Jesus Christ and ministry in the body of Christ. And frankly, I think you'd be happier doing that than getting remarried. I mean, you know, if my wife goes first, God help me, uh, I, I can't imagine anybody putting up with me at 70 or 80. I mean, she can barely put up with me now. I just, I can't even imagine that. Paul's saying, listen, I think you'd be happier just serving the Lord. I hope you've heard that today. The, the, the basic gist of all of this, this entire chapter is, Paul's answering their questions about the relationships. And he's saying, listen, if you're married and you're two believers now, stay married for the rest of your lives. But if one of you dies, you're free to marry again if you want to, but I don't know. Probably be better if you stayed single. He's saying, listen, if you're single and you can remain single, and content, stay single. That just frees you up from all the complications that marriage and families bring. But if you can't, if you, if you can't control your sexual passions and you need to get married so that you keep uh, that sexual activity inside the bonds of marriage, go ahead. You're not doing anything wrong. In fact, that's how God's provided for that. So go ahead and get married. Listen, the Western Civilization Church 
That's us. We should really repent of our behaviors that devalue singleness. Every time we talk to a single person and we ask them, the first question out of our mouth is, have you found somebody? Have you found somebody? Are you dating anybody? Are you going to date? Are you? Folks, that, we may not understand that, but we are devaluing what God honors in their singleness. This view that marriage is a universal goal or should be of every individual is ungodly. We should lift up those who can remain single and still pure in thought and behavior and encourage them. Encourage them. They are the ones most equipped for ministry because of their availability and their singular focus. You know, God called me to plant this church after my kids were grown and out of the house. Uh, Casey might have still lived there, but not very, very long. I can't imagine all the responsibility of starting Fellowship of Grace with a bunch of little kids in the house. I, I, I just, I don't think I could have done it. I think it's why God uh, did it in my life this way. But, but singles, listen, you have the opportunity to stay singularly focused. If you're here today and you're single, I want to apologize, sincerely apologize, for ever, ever making you feel like a second-class citizen. If you can continue living single without passion that's out of control, do it. Do it. Do it. Your life will be incredibly less complicated, and you will be able to stay singularly focused on your relationship with God in ways that those of us who are married and are torn in 20 different directions simply can't do. But, if you decide to marry, you're not sinning. You're not doing anything wrong. But you are complicating your life. Just know that. You're complicating your ability to minister. Know that. You're dimming your focus because it's torn between a lot of things. And you're bringing temporary distractions into your life. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it sinful. Paul just saying, listen, I just want you to know what you're getting into. Go in with your eyes wide open. Go in knowing that the things you've been able to do as a single person by going on mission trips and, and doing things and helping people and spending your money the way you want to to help people and doing all the things that you've wanted to do alone, you aren't going to be able to do that anymore. You're now going to be part of a family and those things are going to get much more complicated. Paul's answered the questions here of the church in Corinth. I think he's answered our questions pretty uh, significantly. And I think it's important for us as we move forward as a church. Uh, listen, we, we uphold marriage. We're going to continue to try and help those of us who have already committed to marriage uh, uh, to have better marriages. Uh, all of us need to work on our marriage. All of us need to, to make that better. But I think it's important for us as we move forward to value singles and their singleness See that for them it might be a gift from God. And if they've received a gift from God to be able to be single and content and serve him solely focused for the rest of their lives, we should stop asking him every time we see him, have you found anybody yet? Have you found anybody yet? Because we're not only hurting their feelings, we're really diminishing 
and kind of spitting on the gift that God has given them. We're not acknowledging it. We're devaluing it. Think about that. Think, and listen, if they meet somebody and, and they decide to get married, great, let's be happy for them. Let's encourage them. Let's help them. But if they decide to stay single for the rest of their lives, we should be all for them doing that if they have that gift. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us and leads us into all truth. Father, forgive us for ever devaluing those with the gift of singleness, for ever making them, even inadvertently, feel like their ministry is unimportant or they're somehow less complete without being married. God, what's been a blessing for some of us by being married, we have a tendency to fall into the trap of thinking that everybody should get that same blessing. But Paul's really clear here that some have this gift to be able to stay single and some just frankly don't. God, for those in our church who are single, who um, just almost wonder what's going on that they feel content being single, God, help them to understand that that is a gift you've given them and that they can continue to serve you solely focused on you. Help them to see that that's a way that you have created them so that they could be who they are supposed to be in the body of Christ. And then, Father, for those who are single who are seeking to be married for the exact reasons that you talk about, God, we pray that you would guide them, you would help them find a believing spouse, and that they would get married and have a happy, healthy family that would continue to serve you as undistracted as possible. God, help those of us in this room who are married to just understand these words and to find a way to love and care for our families in a way that honors you without letting them be as big a distraction as maybe they have been. God, help all of us to focus and put you first in our lives. Oh, oh, we love them. We care for them. We're going to take care of them, but you still come first. God, help us to all learn that balancing act and to just uh, give you the place you deserve in our lives and in this church and in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.